and welcome to Tampa Tantrum episode the 30. Do we still say the? Well, it's the 30th. The 30th? Yes. Okay. Okay. Episode the 30th. Uh, my name is Stephen Layton. Uh, I am joined, as always, by the wonderful, amazing, talented, intelligent, paid me £50 to say that, Mr. Colin Harmon. How are you, Colin? I'm all right, sir. How are you? I'm awful. What's so awful? I, I, I'm on a bit of a downer. After Gym 7 day, no day just seems the same anymore. It's, uh, it's incredibly, yes, uh, meagre in comparison to how wonderful that day was. There's an amazing hole in my, in my day when it isn't Gym 7 day. For those who don't know what we're talking about, Gym 7 day where we released uh, the podcast of James in Asia and we also dug out some of his old talks, which I went back and watched on Gym 7 day. I didn't just participate social media wise, I actually went and did the things and they're brilliant talks. They're really, really cool. He's a clever, clever boy. And like, I think it's fair to say one of the foremost um, supporters of Tamper Tantrum over the years. And it's always great yeah, to have James amazing. on board because it makes everything a lot more fluid. Well, he's co-hosted with me twice as well, filling in for you when you weren't there at Birmingham and at, uh, on the Asia Tour. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always really good. And it was a fun day. Um, but yes, I, I don't feel the same ever since. We should we should uh, get back on topic anyway, because that wasn't what we were here to talk about. Yes, true, it wasn't. So I think uh, the first thing we want to go to is the, the controversy surrounding the WCTC, the World Coffee Trolling Championships. So I think a few of you probably noticed online uh, in various videos and tweets that have been posted that there, there's a few people worried about the competition and specifically about the waste involved in the competition. Is that fair to say? Waste. There's waste in a barista competition. Well, oh, we shouldn't do this. There is. Now, in my defence, I think, um, uh, or in our defence even, the, I think uh, this will be by far the least wasteful of all barista competitions. So most of the coffee that we throw will undoubtedly be able to be used uh, thereafter. Um, some of it won't be, but most of it will be. And... But uh, I think in general, like I've seen baristas turn up to competitions with like literally 200 kilos of competition coffee. So we're not going to do that. We'll have a kilo. We can use the same, same kilo again and again in some situations. And uh, we're also going to use spent roasts. So anything that we're not going to sell at three fee, we're going to bag and use for the, the coffee trolling competitions. So I think there's a few things like that we can do. I, we're also looking at um, Coffee Kids is no longer in existence, so I'm looking for another suitable charity. And what we'll do is that we'll make a charitable donation to that charity based on the uh, cumulative number of meters thrown in the competition. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I think the other thing to point out as well: there'll be no milk. There'll be very little equipment. The air miles on a on a napkin. Um, will be far less than the glassware and cupware you need to take to barista competition. Um, and I, I personally am going to use the most expensive, the most ridiculously... I, I'm only throwing geisha. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> geisha only because of all the money that I'm saving from the other things that aren't wasted. Um, well, the geisha is well-renowned for its aeronautical properties. I think that's fair to say. So... Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd encourage it. I mean, like, you're not a... <laughs> You're hardly going to use a tippet in area. Like, that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> well, I heard you're crazy, so you might use a pack of Mara. Um, I, uh, a magician never reveals a secret, Steve, so... Is that because it's a progressive coffee? 
uh, quite literally, quite literally. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're going to have uh, off roast off roast available on site. Encourage others to use the off roast and the charitable donation. And we're going to think of a few other ideas. If you can think of any other ideas to make this competition the most sustainable and ecologically and morally focused competition of them all, then we are all open ears. So send I'd us on your suggestions. I promise to eat tofu and wear sandals for the whole competition and just be like, wear like a CND t-shirt and all of those things. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's important um, to remember as well that all the coffee has already been paid for. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think we, we, we should move on and we, we expect our, our special guest uh, to be a serious contender this year at the uh, World Coffee Throwing Championships. Um, he is an all-round super talented guy, a Brewers' Cup champion, world champion, a Coffee and Good Spirits world champion, a, an Australian two-times uh, world champion and finalist of WBC. Um, let's go fetch Mr. Matt Perger. Okay, hello, Matt, are you there? Yes, hello. Hello, sir, how are you? Where, where in the world are you right now? I'm in Kuala Lumpur. Nice, I was there like two months ago. It's a beautiful city. It's lovely. Are you allowed to say what has you there, or is there a top secret at this stage? Oh, it's not too top secret. I'm just doing uh, some work with Australian tourism um, people, and we're sort of promoting Melbourne and Australia to Malaysian media. Awesome. I noticed actually when I was there, there was a lot of Australian milk. Like all the, the cafes I visited were using Australian milk. Yes, they, they, they import cows sometimes, but also they ship milk over here uh, directly. Uh, cows and mat. Yes, I'm one of the imports. Well, I, I'm going to pull it back and start talking about the stuff that people want to know, not about your daily trips where you're going and about cows. So, like... Where did you come from, Matt? And I'm not, I don't mean that in a kind of weird way, but like, you know, how did you get into coffee? Tell us your backstory a little bit. Oh, okay. So in high school, when I was 16, I was working at a terrible cafe in coffee uh, terms. It was the Donald Bradman Museum, if you're familiar with the cricketer. And the coffee was awful, and the cafe was called Stumps. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cheesy. <laughs> Cheesy. And uh, I wanted to learn about why people liked coffee because I hated coffee at the time. I thought it was uh, deplorable. And that journey of hunting the better cup of coffee and improving coffee uh, leads one down a road that uh, culminates in specialty. So I started visiting cafes, started meeting people, started barista competitions started just trying to learn as much about coffee as I could from that job and then eventually started working at nicer cafes and getting jobs with, uh, you know, uh, better teams and um, more experienced teams and it just keeps going from there. So everybody knows kind of you working at St. Ali. Uh, how did that relationship come around? How did that, how did you get that into the door there from Stumps? So... That relationship was entirely through a gentleman named Ross Quayle, who was one of the partners in Sensory Lab. And I knew Ross through the barista competitions. He was the president of the Australian Specialty Coffee Association for a couple of years. And that was during the beginning of my competitive tour, if you will. So when Ross was the president, I was a national champion at one point. 
and uh, that sort of, you know, that brought us closer together. And the other half to that story was that I actually took Ross's job when I uh, moved to Axel Coffee Roasters with David Macon and Zoe Macon. So uh, Ross ended up going to Santa Lee and Sensory Lab and the things that Ross was going to be doing, I ended up doing at Axel. So there was a, a bizarre uh, tit-for-tat going on there that culminated in us um, both ending up at Sensory Lab and St. Ali together. Wow. That is uh, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and then I suppose most people know of you throughout the world uh, through your, your working competition. So when did you first compete? What year was that? That was... In 2009, at the end of 2009, so I'd just finished, uh, sorry, I apologize, beginning of 2009, so I'd just finished high school and my friend who was also a barista dared me to do a barista competition. Uh, So I I did because I thought it was a cool idea. I bombed out. I put liquid espresso on top of the espresso machine. Don't know why, but I did. And... Uh, I think I came close to last in the uh, New South Wales, which is our regional for uh, Sydney. And did that kind of leave you with a, uh, a sore taste in your mouth? Like, did you, was it a bad experience or did it kind of give you the urge to keep going? Like, what made you keep coming back? Because you've, comp- you've competed, like, is it four or five times at this oh, stage? Oh, gosh, I don't even know how many times. Maybe, maybe five. Uh, it left me with a really good taste in my mouth, not because of how the competition went down. I was a little bit embarrassed about that, but uh, I was still pretty green. And that's okay. That's what happens when you're green. Some bad things happen and you're not very experienced. But what happened from that was that I got a job offer because uh, the owner of a cafe, the Sauce Espresso Bar, Russell Beard, uh, now owner of uh, Reuben Hills in Sydney and also partner in Paramount Coffee Project, he uh, noticed that I was really passionate and offered me a job and put me up in a hotel for a few weeks until I could find a house in Sydney. And this ball just started rolling directly because of my uh, commitment to competition. Okay. And what, what keeps you involved in the competition? Like, what is it, is it uh, like a learning thing? Is it kind of that will to keep winning? Is it a massive inflated ego? Like, what is it, what is it that keeps coming you back to competition? <laughs> and, what, and, like, will you keep coming back? I... The, the origin, so it's changed. Each time it's it sort of changed uh, a little bit. So in the beginning, it was career development and networking. That was all of it. So I, I knew that if I wanted to get better jobs and for more people to notice me, I needed to compete and I needed to do well. So that worked, which was great, or I think it worked. And as I progressed, it became not as much to get a better job because I had, you know, I have a really great job if not the best job in coffee. And it's moved on to how can I communicate interesting ideas and uh, promote, um, like you know, scientific questioning and reasoning and um, new sort of exciting things that I do in my job through competition. Um, and competition's a great platform for communicating those things. It's not the most efficient platform for communicating those things, but uh, it does a really great job of throwing those ideas out there. And will I keep okay, so, will I keep competing? Was the final question. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes. Okay, an emphatic yes. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to do so. And this is I I don't mean this in any terrible way, right? Okay, so he does. 
I do. I mean, he's a terrible one. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but I, we've got two guys here who I think are the most famous non-winners of WBC in the world. You've kind of created a platform to get those ideas out there and to have those conversations. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that both of you have had this massive impact on you know, specialty coffee and the barista competition scene? without winning when there's some winners that I think have had nowhere near the uh the impact uh, that you two have uh, uh, that's for you first of all Matt and then I'll go to Colin well uh, Carl Sarah's going to kill you for that firstly um and <laughs> that's a good point who? <laughs> <laughs> Carl who uh, no, no I love you Carl uh <laughs> so why why does it have the impact I think uh, it, well, maybe originally back in the early days of the competition, I, I don't think that second and third place had as much sway as they do these days. And I guess as the competition becomes more popular and more people watch it and more people um, don't just watch it to see who wins but watch it to see what ideas are being thrown around, sometimes that means that um, more exciting ideas or different ideas might be coming second or third instead of first. Um, and it would also be wise to say that uh, maybe the crazy ideas don't win because they're crazy ideas. So it's maybe the first place getter is playing the game really well, but the second and third and fourth players, fourth places, uh, are throwing out maybe a little bit more risky routines and innovative ideas that might not score as well. Yeah. Do you ever have that thing where sorry, where like I don't you have an idea, and the idea is quite risky. And you go, all right, this might not work, and you, uh, but you go with it anyway. But then people will always suggest, oh, if you hadn't taken so much risk, you know, you might you might have done better in that. But what I always say to people is that, like, if we hadn't taken so much risk, I mightn't have even made finals. Do you know what I mean? Like, so where are you in the whole risk thing? Do you, do you have regrets about being too risky in the past, or do you think that the risk is why you've gotten so far? Ne- never have I regretted uh, a risk. Good man. That's a good answer. Do you think that if you would take... Is there anything you would have changed from... I'm thinking particularly Melbourne, because that's the, the, the most recent one in my kind of memory of... If you could, is there anything you've kind of looked back at and think, if i just changed that, if i just played the game a little more that you, you think you might have won? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, every single aspect of that routine was risky from... It was the kitchen sink. It was the I kitchen mean, literally... sink of routines. Um, may, yeah. Like, you know, maybe one day it will be looked upon as the riskiest routine of all time, uh, which I, I would, would love for someone to think of that. Uh, but we didn't do it because it was risky. We did it, um, and I say we as in the team at Sensory Lab and also Ben Kaminsky, who was my coach. Uh, we did it because we thought that everything that we were including was right. We didn't do it because it was risky. It's not like we did a uh, routine on decaf because people don't like decaf and we wanted to prove that decaf is tasty. It was risks that we took because we thought that it would improve coffee and they were ideas that were groundbreaking and exciting and um, improved the coffees that I was making rather than just made a point and were risky. I think you achieved that. I gave, like, of all the competition routines that have been out there, I'm not sure I can think of another routine that's had such um, a cultural impact uh, in the context of coffee bars. Do you know what I mean? Like, within weeks, Malkunig were sold out of EK43s. Um, like, it, it just completely swayed everybody's opinion. Like, 
grinding for unimodal grind profiles and it was not a new thing, but suddenly it was common parlance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I really don't think anyone's ever made such an impact. And I think, I think that's probably something to be more proud of than, um, than even winning the competition potentially. So yeah, I think it's had a, a massive impact. Yeah, a, lo- you, a lot of people do shared you see it that way. Or? Yeah. A lot of people shared that with me afterwards. Um, a, a couple of people went so far to say as I won, uh, which, which was nice to say, um, but I didn't. So, um, it's, it's not, not that correct, but I, I see where they're coming from as in, um, a lot of people talked about it. Uh, more people talked about it than uh, uh, any of my other routines ever. So, um, in that respect, in in regards to my goals, which is as I said, furthering my ideas and promoting the things that I'm doing, I won, uh, which is great. <laughs> um, Colin, I want to turn that round to you um, because it'd be kind of remiss to miss this opportunity to talk about the impact that you've had. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, you are both in that club of the most famous non-winners. What do you think made the impact for you? Um, I have no idea. I honestly don't. Because I think you have uh, a lot more competitions, like a lot more competitions have been seen in finals. So it's not necessarily just one performance that define, you know, I'm not saying one performance. De- <laughs> this is so dangerous to say. <laughs> I don't think it's one performance that defines Matt either. But, you know, yeah. it, you, you have a far greater kind of back catalogue, if you like. Well, I don't know. Like, it's not really for me to say what the, what the impact was. But definitely my intention all the time with, with competition was to, um, like, even from the start in 2009, I don't even in coffee for a year but I was I wanted to I, I watched Bristol competitions and I just thought they were kind of boring and I was like there's a lot of formulaic things here and because I was only new to the industry there's a lot of stuff that happens for the sake of happening because they, they did it that way the year before so even in 2009 a simple thing like pouring out the table or just like I don't know having a proper start middle and end to your presentation like you'd write a story and and just bringing like presentation skills to the table. I, that's what I wanted to achieve was to to make it kind of uh, approachable for people to watch. Like I used to do it for my wife and say like I do a routine and say now do you get the point of my routine? And she doesn't know anything about coffee. And if she understood the point of the routine, then that was a victory to me. So I wanted to be make it more accessible. So um, it's uh, that's kind of what I set out to do. But I don't know. I think I think I definitely did to a certain extent. But. Um, a lot of other people have contributed that over the years, and I think competition is a lot more approachable. And there's some really great presenters these days that, that do competition. Um, I personally so. think a lot of your presenta- a lot of your presentations are exactly that, though. There's always a kind of message in there that is like, "This is what you're trying to get across." Whereas I think some people just can go to, a, and maybe for both of you actually, that there's a there's an underlying theme or message that's trying to get across. That as opposed to just point scoring and serving this, 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 and you know, they're, they're not yeah. being necessarily that synergy between all of the drinks. But uh, the problem is that there's no points for that. There's not like there's, uh, I think maybe Matt's had this criticism in the past, uh, but I've had like pretty much every year I competed, I've had to to say, but like that stuff that you did, there's no mark for that. And you know, you're talking about water or you're talking about um, kind of uh, progressive coffee as a theme, or you're talking about this, but you. It needs to be all about the coffee and focus on that farm. So just talk about the farm. And for me, it was like, yeah, I could have scored more points doing it that way, but fuck it. I liked it this way. So you can kind of swallow it, you know? I'm with Colin. <laughs> no, I am too. I think, I think it's a... It's a I, it's the performances, I always enjoy are those ones with the messages. So, yeah, so like you said that um, you 
you're definitely competing again in bursting competitions. Dude, you, uh, you obviously won the you obviously won the Brewers Cup in two thousand. Uh, was two thousand twelve? Was it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you competed again in that, or would I, you compete again? I in want it? to. I, I, if I'm going to compete again, it would more likely be in Brewers Cup than in Brewster. Really? Yes. I need to do uh, my apology routine. I see. More? Flip it on its head. Can I, you expand uh, on that? I, I need to apologize for the routine that uh, I inevitably won with because now I think that it's all wrong. <laughs> okay, would this perchance have something to do with fines? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you want to expand a little bit on that? Oh, it's very, very small, Colin. Um, it's difficult to expand. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, yeah, I guess um, my thinking has changed. I'm not, I'm still uh, maybe, I'm not 100% there yet, but uh, I think that maybe big grind particles, and when I say big, I mean everything above, let's call it 100 microns, so 0.1 of a millimetre, are really doing jack-all. Okay. So in my routine, I was only using particles that were larger than, I think, 250 microns. And now I'm pretty sure that to achieve, uh, you know, through changes in roasting and, you know, changes in understanding, I'm pretty sure that the exact opposite is true. Okay. And, and... So your attitude towards the boulders has changed. Has your attitude towards the fines changed? Yeah, well, you know, originally, and I guess historically, they've been seen as the enemy. And, you know, get rid of the fines. The fines are evil. We don't want the fines. But uh, there's a whole lot of surface area in there, and there's a whole lot of deliciousness in there. You know, they're, they're still the same coffee that the boulders are. It's not like there's different chemicals in there. And yeah. if it's roasted well and extracted well, it should just be as delicious as the larger grinds. Here's a trivia question okay. for you. Go on. So if you divide a regular coffee grind sample into grinds that are larger than 100 microns and grinds that are smaller than 100 microns, mm-hmm. for every grind that's larger, how many grinds, as in the number of them, the count are there that are smaller than 100 microns? So, you know, is it 1 to 2? Is it 1 to 10? 1 to 100? I I think it's north of 1 to 100. It is north. Like, is it like closer to 1 to 1,000? It's close to 1 to 100 million. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's that's quite a substantial number. Because it's all logarithmic once you get down that low, and all the grind uh, charts that we've been looking at are... Uh, logarithmic so it looks very small once it gets down to those numbers but in fact it's much 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 uh, much much larger proportion of the coffee grinds than we think it's not just about volume yeah because yeah, and it's the surface area is the biggest thing that has the impact here because yes. if you have um uh like if you consider i think like australia is like three times the land mass of indonesia but indonesia has three times the the coast of australia mm-hmm. it's something with that's rough numbers but it's it's kind of indicative of what the truth is the and it's it's all to do with like those small islands create lots of uh, surface area it's the same works the same way with coffee so if you have 
lots of, uh, if you even have a small amount of fines, there's infinitely more surface area there. So they're doing most of the extracting for... Well, it, it's not the infinite, thing that it's actually 70%. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, the, uh, <laughs> which is which is almost infinite. Yeah. The, uh, the, but if you if you consider that, like that's that that's doing most of the work there, and we've learned through kind of um, Gold Cup standards and other other uh, studies in the past that the the teaching has always been that the small guys are over extracting and the big guys are under extracting, um, but it. It must be near impossible for us to understand how much those wines are extracting, and are they over extracting? It kind of that bit, uh, that that bit more than kind of the rest of the migrants down. Like, and I don't know. It's it, it's something that we have struggled with a lot lately because it's um, it seems that a lot of people are are moving towards unimodal grind profiles for the sake of it and not really considering the consequences. Mm. So the EK forty three. Another thing that I need to apologise for, although. The Accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Although the particles are more even, as in the standard deviation from the mean is smaller, there are more fines. Yes, there are a lot more fines. Which is yeah, why you we've... get more extraction. And this is the thing, like, I keep going to like coffee shops and saying, you know, for the record, obviously I'm, I'm a, a Mythos um, jockey here, but the... It, we still use an Eco, EK43. We use it for espresso, for, for filter coffee. And it, I love it. It's a great grinder. The, but the, the places that I go, I always make a point of saying, so why do you use EK43? And they say, oh, because it's got a unimodal grind profile and it doesn't have any fines. I'm like, it doesn't have any fines. Do you know that? Or do you think that? And they're, oh, it's, well, uh, it's, and it's, there's a presumption there, but there actually is quite a lot of fines. Many more. <laughs> because yes. that, that end of the graph, as I said, is logarithmic. So it looks like a little bit more, but a little bit more is a lot more. So how would you, without giving the game away, how would you move that new learning into uh, a brewer's cup? I'd, I'd, you know, it'd be a pretty similar routine. I'd be like, hey, guys, uh, what's up? I've done some research and I've got some findings and I want to share that with you. Here's what I've been thinking about. Here's what I'm going to do today. And here's your delicious cup of coffee. Would be how it would yeah. go down, I guess. So that was, when's the next Brewers Cup for Australia? So was it? Uh, That's going to be in like March next year. Cool. Yeah. So you're doing that and the Bristol competition. That's excellent news. <laughs> so Matt, you talk. Like a lot of the things that you've talked about is the kind of science of things, and I think that's something that's always kind of come through. And a big part that people know you for now is the barista hustle. So i kind of seen in some of those barista hustles that science kind of creeping in. Is, is this a constant interest for you uh, with, within along that science? So, you know, is it your personal interest or is this just something where coffee's taking you? No, forever and everything. I, I am a massive geek, if that's not already obvious. I love, I love dissecting things, not to destroy them or to remove the magic, but to improve the magic or figure out how to get more magic more often. So I like to dial in. I like to dial in everything in my life. I, you know, I want to optimize the things that I'm eating so that I feel better and that I, uh, you know, perform better. I, I love to optimize my sleep. I love to optimize everything, and I try to get data from it. I try to listen to it. I try to aggregate all of that that knowledge and try to improve things with it. And it's I, I enjoy doing it. And I'm extremely lucky that my job involves a whole lot of it as well. So kind of 
going on the barista hustle thing that I kind of I jumped into and I, I kind of I, I wanted that to be the second part so that's not very seamless I'm all into the links and the you oh, know, yeah. these segues um, but tell us a little bit about the the barista hustle and what the thinking was behind it and why why you went ahead and did it and why you think it's been so well received well I have been wanting to um, you know, get into the online sort of space in a, in a way other than just social media for a while. And uh, we thought that this would be a really nice way to dip our toe, ours as in, I say, as in Sensory Lab, St. Ali, me, uh, our toes into um, online content and, you know, building audiences and sharing ideas. And uh, it's it's sort of like the the seminal project in what is hopefully going to be quite a number of projects um, to do with coffee and the online space. So um, I, I was, I, you know, I've really wanted to have a blog for a while where I actually consistently produce um, content and share ideas. I think that's really important. So uh, we just started it up and I kept doing my day-to-day -day sort of work at St. Helian Sensory Lab and the subscriptions blew uh, far beyond expectation for the first few months. And there was a lot of traction and a lot of um, commenters, which was really great. Uh, much more engagement in the comments and many more people opening the emails than, you know, any industry averages. So I was like, oh, hey, you know, seems like coffee people want to do online things. Uh, so that's great. That was the first tester. And then uh, uh, why, what, uh, what were the other questions? Why did we want to do it? Uh, to get it, yeah, to get online, I guess, um, to stop building Zuckerberg's uh, empire <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, I I love the fact of the regular thing, and it's something that I've I've kind of been very passionate about for a long time. I think if you produce content and you produce on a regular, consistent let you know time then people buy in but you also need those almost those deadlines of like I have to you know I've got to motivate myself to do this for this oh, day because I always yeah. do it. Yeah, because I, the, I the worst thing is you go YouTube... to a site and if you go to a site and the, the content isn't there and you expect it on that day, I get so frustrated. It's yeah. just like, I'm, I want, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me um, the and then you lose people. Yeah. And like the number of times I've been up on Sunday night cursing at all of the subscribers that I've promised to send this thing out weekly to and I've got to send out in a few hours. Uh, if you could all see that, uh, I think, you know, uh, some people's opinion of me would differ <laughs> and maybe I've cursed a couple of, too many times, but... It's been really, really rewarding. And it's also been a really, really great process to force myself to do this. I've been sat in the back of pickup trucks with my laptop editing in my mugs <laughs> yeah. in the middle of nowhere. I've like seen in the worst places doing it, believe me. Yeah. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. Why yeah. am I doing it? It's... And it is, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it, it is, it's really painful, but that's the way that you build, you build an audience, I guess. Yeah. So... And in fairness, I think you two are probably the two people in Coffee Internet that that keep that going like you know it's a i think we've we've all talked about how the blogs are falling off or even how things like like too much coffee the coffee forums how that's just fallen off like and it'll be great to get that back you know but it's uh it seems twitter is, is taking a lot of um noise away so just just to roll you back a little bit um so st ali is involved in barista hustle and then uh it seems to be i don't think we can talk about the work that you do without talking about sal uh, and his role in, in your career and yeah. he seems to be I, I've only met him once um but from from afar it seems like he is very invested 
in you achieving your own goals within the scope of what what he does like and kind of mentoring that um yeah that entrepreneurship as opposed to entrepreneurship like um how rewarding is to have somebody like that uh, as your boss it's invaluable absolutely invaluable so at, at the moment originally sal was my boss and he was my employer and i worked for him and then pretty soon afterwards, the relationship kind of changed into Sal is investing in me and he's my mentor. Very, very, yeah. it, it very, very quickly changed. And uh, so, uh, you know, Barista Hustle is Sal giving up company funds, giving up um, my salary time uh, to pursue projects like this. And uh, like, so that's, that is technically a direct investment in me. Uh, I guess yeah. as direct as it can as it can get because there's you know there's no Saint Ali or Sensory Lab branding on there at all. Uh, it's you know it's very neutral, and you know I've only mentioned Saint Ali a couple of times because that's the place that I make coffee at sometimes. Uh, it's you know it's not necessarily advertisement. So so that sort of having that mentor um, and Sal has a you know he has a background in law and he also has a background in um, quite large businesses. Um, working for as a contractor for Nestle um, acquisitions, amongst other things. So his big business expertise and his um, sort of larger than the coffee world experience is so valuable for me. It's unbelievable. And uh, that is sort of, that's becoming much more of a thing um, in the next uh, sort of six months, um, this sort of side project, um, not just as Barista Hustle, but as a number of other things is going to start really rolling out and increasing in size and scope. Um, as you may have learned, I recently made a hire, uh, which is Alex Bernson uh, for the, yes. and he's now my editor and partner in crime for all of this stuff. Uh, he was the ex, uh, he's the, he was the editor um, at Sprudge for three years. And he's with me now uh, and we're scheming up a whole bunch of things. Awesome. And all it's turned into a, into a little beast in itself, hasn't it? Yes. So, yeah. So that's, that's all because Sal is sort of allowing me to sort of step back in my day-to-day roles and sort of move all of this kind of stuff forward as well. And he sees potential in it and he sees that um, I'm really engaged by it and enjoying it. And, um, yeah, we're going to see where it goes from here. So then just finally then with Sensory Lab, explain to those listening if, if they don't uh, know already, how is Sensory Lab different to um, uh, Sedali? Okay, and so, what is your role within those two places, or is it just within Sensory Lab? That you so I was I was working there for a year, and I was still a bit confused about it all. So, uh, in, <laughs> in in very very simple terms, who am I? Yeah, yeah. So Saint Ali started ten years ago. Sal bought it two years after it started. Um, it grew in size, and then um, some other partners wanted to come on board, and then they were like, "This is getting too big for Saint Ali. It needs to stay small." Um, we need to create a business that can scale, that can be much larger than St. Ali. So they created Sensory Lab, new partners came on board, um, and that was the roastery. So that was, you know, they bought the green and they sold roasted coffee, and they also repackaged it as St. Ali coffee. So Sensory okay. Lab is like the wholesale roastery um, arm, and then St. Ali is the cafe, but both of the brands have wholesale accounts and cafes and you know, all that kind of stuff. But Sensory Lab is the, the, the warehouse, the sort of the powerhouse behind it all. I'm a partner in Sensory Lab, minority partner. And uh, I guess 
that's it really. Sen Ali is entirely Sal, so it's just him. And Sensory Lab has a number of partners, um, most of whom, almost all of whom are employees in the business, in the different areas of the business. Okay, so that aspect of kind of entrepreneurship is quite prevalent throughout them. Yes, yeah. So we've got our, our retail manager, our head roaster, our CFO, uh, sorry, um, one of our finance um, uh, employees, our tra- head of training, um, all of them are all, uh, or, and uh, also up in Sydney, we have uh, a wholesale, some wholesale staff, all of them are partners in Sensory Lab. Wow. I think you've got like, like there seems to be so much going on in your life and, and I kind of I wonder how you fit it all in with with doing this stuff because there's the relationship with Mal Koenig that is something that uh, always interests me because you don't seem to just be advising, you seem to be like really working super close with them. You, can you tell us a little bit, about, bit more about how that came about and the work that you do in there? Yeah, so the, originally that was uh, spurred on from the whole EK43 thing. And yeah. uh, we, we began sort of a, a pretty basic ambassadorship kind of program straight after that. So I would help them promote the grinder and uh, be a voice for the company in regards to um, that sort of style of grinding and coffee making. And we got did, along. Did they want to actually promote that grinder? Was that something they actively wanted to do at the time? Because I always got the feeling that they didn't know what to do with it. Almost. <laughs> so you mean before I took it to WBC? No, wait, after you took it to WBC, oh. they were like, we've got this thing and it's, people want to buy it, but we don't know what to do with it. It was just, <laughs> it seemed really strange that they, they, they were very slow to kind of pick up. I think people were more interested in buying it before they were more interested yeah, in think, selling it. Yeah, I think they, um, we, we really honestly didn't think they were going to sell that many. It, like, and, and for like, you know, and that was for like a month and they said, oh, it, it's going to drop off soon. And then, you know, six months later, they were like, it's going to drop off soon. And it just kept on going. So, yeah, I think it was, uh, we just really didn't expect it to be that popular. So they were kind of caught by surprise, which is the best kind of surprise if you're selling a grinder like that. Um, But unfortunately, because it's such an old product, there are a lot of legacy systems in place for the manufacture of it. A lot of cast pieces uh, that were quite difficult to obtain en masse in short periods of time. So it was was a difficult um, period for them. In the course of this conversation, I've had orders for two EK43 dials and one EK43. So I can assure you that that, uh, that, that bandwagon is still rolling. It's still rolling, I think isn't it? Was, uh, we were selling some before, though. I, I, we sold, Before the WBC, obviously not in the same kind of scale, but before your WBC routine, we were getting orders come through. We were selling, you know, kind of two or three here occasionally, you know, somebody would... And, because I think, it, where, did it, where did it initially start that somebody was using it? Was it Cafe Myriad in So Montreal? Cafe Myriad with Scott Rowe and Anthony Bender is the first uh, case that I know of, of um, specialty coffee professionals using an EK43. And that was back in 2011 that I saw it, the grinder there. Where was that, sorry? 2011. After, straight no, after. Where was it? Oh, Cafe Myriad in Montreal, Canada. Okay, right, yeah, sorry. I dropped off there momentarily. <laughs> Getting more orders for EK43s, are you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, the money. So, uh, and then my relationship with Mal Koenig has sort of turned more into, as, as you mentioned, a bit more product development, a bit more working side by side. Uh, next week, I'm going to Gothenburg, Jotobora, um, and then I'm heading down to Hamburg to um, spend a few days with Mal Koenig as well, just to work on some new products that are coming out. That and, I, and, and obviously they released the heat during the WBC this year. I'm, I'm guessing that's some 
kind of input from yourself there. The heat, the um, peak. Oh, the peak. Peak, sorry. Well, yeah, peak heat. Well, that's, a great, that's a great name for a grinder. Um, Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mazacol um, and the Yeah, the peak. peak. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what, yeah. what's happened so with the, that? So the peak was, how do we turn the K30 into an EK43? Right. So that's, that, that was essentially the, the conversation of, um, let's, let's get a new grinder out the door. How can we turn their existing espresso grinder into the EK43? So much bigger burrs, much larger motor, uh, completely different burr design, which much more closely mirrors the EK43. And uh, I, think, I think they've nailed it. Um, obviously, no grinder is perfect. And uh, Malkonig are the first to admit that, but it solves almost every problem anyone had with the original K30, and it produces espressos. Um, I would say much more easily than you can get with an EK43. So I know a lot of people struggle um, making espresso with an EK43 because there is um, maybe a small sweet spot or uh, a small. Um, a high sensitivity in the grind size and the yield and a lot of things that you need to monitor. With the peak, it seems as though your margin for error has increased uh, twofold. So it's much easier for you to just make espresso instead of constantly monitoring everything. And a lot more ergonomically sound as well, I'd imagine. Yes. Yeah. So I think, uh, did you uh, at Sandali at one time move to all your coffees through an EK43? Yeah, so that was, uh, that was the, at the barista's request, I didn't force it upon anyone, let it be known. Yes, you did. I did not. I came home. You did. You put a... those Matt Perga stickers <laughs> all over the shop as well. I, I saw you. I came home from a trip and there was only an EK43 on the bar and I said, you guys are crazy. And they were like, no, we love it. It's the best thing ever. Uh, and they put me on bar the next day straight into the deep end and my lats were so sore from swirling, <laughs> <laughs> swirling uh, all of these porta filters for a whole day, you know, making 600 coffees with the damn thing. Um, and then, wow. you know, eventually they just paired it back to only on Mondays or, you know, only on some quiet days. And I think now, now that we have the peak on bar, they're, they're using the peak alongside the EK. Awesome. Cool. And, and of course, you also uh, did not content with fixing grinders. You released the Perg Tamp. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the relationship with Pullman and how that came about and why it's different to other tamps? Yeah, so when I was using the EK for competition, I was struggling to mutate, which is where I move the tamper around uh, off-axis to slow the shots down. Quick disclaimer, don't mutate if you can avoid it. That's the last possible thing uh, you should change if you want to slow shots down. I apologise for that as well. And uh, accepted. <laughs> thank you. And I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a last resort technique rather than the first thing that you do. Um, yeah. And uh, to do that, I wanted a tamper that had tapered sides. So we went for the tapered sides, and then I could mutate, and that was great. And then I sort of thought, hang on, why don't we um, really get into the edges? Because I was worried that mutation wasn't quite hitting the very edges of the uh, grinds. So then we went for a super sharp edge all the way out to the corners and I started making coffee with it. Uh, well, I started mutating with it and that was great. But then when we just started using it for regular espresso, uh, the espressos were tasting a whole lot better and we started refracting them and measuring the extractions and the extractions were higher, uh, which was very curious. 
because we were like we struggled daily to try and get our extractions higher and then a tamper managed to raise them so in some cases it raised it up to like a percent extraction more in other cases where you know if you've already got a really really good tamper and it's very very snug it'll increase it maybe like a quarter to half a percent but it was always an increase yeah we were half a percent half a percent which across the board right so yeah we were stoked on that and as soon as like i did some more tests i you know, maybe I pulled, I think it was about 30 shots in a row just to make sure that I wasn't, I didn't have some bias or uh, some problem was happening. Then I rang up Mark and just said, we've got to get this thing out the door. We have to start um, selling it. The name was a joke, uh, obviously, and is still a joke. And <laughs> and uh, I might, I think I regret the name uh, because we thought that we were going to sell 20 or like 30 to just some hardcore um, coffee nerds, and then it kind of sprung out of control. Well, earlier on you said that you, there was no risk that you'd ever regret it. So I don't In competition really was the context with that, Colin. And, uh... Yeah, well, it's my <laughs> podcast, so shut up. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, so, like, you, you have a lot of these things going on. Like, uh, has that taken away that itch to, like, open your own cafe? Or do you think that's something you'll do in, in the future? I, because I know a lot of baristas want to do it. But you probably have such an insight into, into how cafes run that you're, you're well aware why you should definitely not open one. <laughs> I definitely do not want to open a cafe right now. Uh, and I don't know if I ever will. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I, you know, you're constantly toying with ideas of different cafes you could open and where. Uh, but I, I, I think that I would enjoy um, other types of business a little bit more. For the, so I'll put you down as a definitely then. But <laughs> yeah, just just for the the things that I enjoy doing and the things that I enjoy, you know, grappling with. Um, I, I I I like new problems every day. Um, and in the cafe- is there any like outside of coffee stuff? Like, have you ever thought of like? Yeah, sure. Uh, like, I, I'd get, I could get into wine. I could get into you know food science, any of that stuff. But for the moment, coffee for sure. So if you were going, okay, like we're going to write you a blank check right now. It's a tamper tantrum check to go and do something right now. What, what would it be? That'd be great because I need some cash for this new uh, project we're doing. Um, There's no money in the bank. Set up a online network for professional exchange for coffee people. So coffeed? Coffeed 2.0. Okay. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, I think that, that would be a definitely a good thing to do. Uh, but it's it's like what you're saying earlier about too much coffee, like, and then there's this coffee is gone. Like, there's definitely, if they're not going to come back, there's definitely scope for something to to pop up that would do that because Twitter. Twitter, well, Twitter isn't killed working. discussion. Twitter killed the long discussion. It started with the little like punchy, uh, nah, 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 you know, and it, it just stopped that long. I remember reading some of. Uh, Peter G's posts on coffee that would go on for the whole page and then you'd get um, Jeff Watts come in and just write another page and a half. So that's, that's missing. That's the project, gentlemen. That's what's coming yeah. next. Because the thing about Twitter is that you're trying to have that conversation. It's really hard to do it in 140 characters. And even last week I was talking to somebody about something and I woke up the next day and I looked back and I was like, that reads like I'm being really sarky with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to get across your... Intention with and them. also yeah, you, definitely you're using a social media account that your regular business's customers are reading. 
which is yeah. which is yeah. you know back of house front of house it's not very professional so uh, I, I, at the moment I'm seeing a really big gap in a, in, in a beautiful sort of platform and space um, that coffee people can uh, coffee professionals or enthusiasts can uh, communicate in a much more meaningful way than than social platforms can allow. Can that be invite only and invite everybody but Colin because he's still very bitter about not being on coffee? I never got on coffee. No, <laughs> so that's there. Yeah, one of the most important things will be who who's on there. But um, I, I think you know if, if you have a community of uh, focused focused people um, and there is a you know a small barrier to entry, so you can't just log in and start spamming people. Um, I think if you you know initiate that community um, with good faith and with uh, you know, and help the people that are on there understand what you're trying to do, then I, I have faith that, you know, people, you don't need to make it invite only. I think it can be self, self-fulfilling. I tell you, I, what, one piece of advice from experience of other forums that are not coffee forums, but the other kind of places for that is have a good moderator, have somebody that's there that's not necessarily in the conversation, mm. but he's actually has got a clear vision and purpose of what they're doing. Yeah. They've been the most useful platforms I found when you've got somebody that's you know, driving it in a direction and when things are going off, off topic or going bad, they can be addressed early. So it never mm. kind of does that again. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to steer away from the classic forum uh, yeah. uh, sort of structure. Um, and Alex and I have a few ideas for that. Um, he's uh, being a, a sociology sort of expert. Um, even just wording things differently, instead of using a word like forum, you can use uh, different words just to sort of help people understand that it's a discussion and a, or a debate, um, not just... Uh, pressing post, you would, you know, you might press a button that says publish, and it's got your name attached to it. So it hmm. it becomes a lot more um, professional and um, and as I said, meaningful rather than just sort of Twitter esque responses. Yeah, I'm in definitely. Obviously, if I'm invited, that's that's me being very presumptuous right there. Um, <laughs> finally, uh, well, not finally. The I, I want to just bring you back then, uh, just just to Melbourne itself. Um, so I've been to Melbourne. Twice, I think, yeah, twice in the last two years. And you might not know this, but um, in different parts of the world, there's a huge resentment amongst coffee shop owners uh, towards baristas that walk through the door and kind of with this cocky swagger, kind of like, I've been to Melbourne. You need to give me a job. And we were always kind of like, Melbourne, 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 whatever. Was that Jerry when you came oh, back home? <laughs> yeah, specifically Jerry, yeah. So... There is this, uh, and as well as that, you have like uh, people that have lived in Melbourne that come back and say, "Oh, you need to go to Melbourne," and like it's just you give the coffee. Like, this is great; it's amazing. It's almost as good as Melbourne, <laughs> which is met with like this deathly silence. So when I turned up in Melbourne, I I was absolutely distraught to see how incredible it was. Like how, uh, like it was the closest thing to that kind of um, that specialty coffee end game that we all that we'd all been working towards i'd never seen so many great cafes in the same place uh, that i'd never heard of which is the most inspiring thing you know uh it, it, like how far along is melbourne do you think it can go a lot further do you worry that there's a bubble that will burst like and and it, does it deserve that acclaim that it's got around the world i i think it's a really incredible city um i've done a lot of travel as well and it, it's rare to find a, a couple of cafes that are at sort of like um that sort of same par level um, that, that, you, that you'd have in, in Melbourne. Uh, it's not perfect, nowhere's perfect, but 
uh, I think, uh, I don't know. So there's so many, there's so many good cafes around the world that are better than the majority of cafes in Melbourne. And I, I, I don't know why there are that many cafes in Melbourne that people go nuts about. Cause I only really go to three. I'm not naming them. Uh, I think it's such a tricky one. It hasn't. Re- but it's that power level, though. It's got yeah. the highest power level. Like yeah. it's not as if you have coffee that will blow you away. It's just you have no. really drinkable coffee in a lot of in a, places. In a lot of places. And Melbourne, it's not at saturation yet. A lot of people think that it's at saturation of specialty coffee, but that's just because their Twitter feed they only follow coffee people. Uh, if you only follow coffee people, then the world is saturated with coffee, uh, with specialty coffee. Yeah. But that's, that's just not the case. Uh, there, there are still so many consumers in Melbourne that have uh, no idea about what's going on or sometimes a disdain for uh, what's going on. So I think there is room to improve. I think, interestingly, there's room to move backwards uh, and... Uh, if you let me explain what I mean by that, I think there would be a lot of consumers in Melbourne that would appreciate a cafe that is so anti-specialty but just serves, not necessarily anti-specialty, but just has zero hallmarks of specialty coffee and just serves a pretty good cup of coffee. Yeah. I think there's a, a very, very big gap in the market for cafes that serve pretty good coffee and... Just do it without fanfare. So, if you take so, um, what what you're saying is that the kind of Melbourne scene is very it's it's very distinct, um, and there are some elements you don't like. Is, is there somewhere that you go to and you like the elements of that, or you know, opposed to Melbourne? Uh, do, do you mean like a cafe that is uh, that that fits that description? I'm thinking more of a scene because it sounds like that's much more of a scene thing that like, you know, the, in Melbourne, I very much got that there was a, there's formulas. So if you go to London, for instance, there's a formula to open a coffee shop that people follow, mm. they follow A, B, C and D, and then they open their shop. Uh, is there somewhere that kind of is more open to what you would prefer? I'm not explaining. As, it, well, as in a city or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. That has those elements that you you think could be, you know, would would if you could merge a city into Melbourne to, to kind of take some of those th- negatives away that you don't like. Oh, um, no, I, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a, a city thing um, that would do it. I, I think okay. it's more the the operators of the cafes that would do it. Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, so so really just taking away the the formality of the you know. The, you know that that's a specialty coffee because we all walk into them. We see the little signs that remind us, oh yeah, they've got that machine, they've got that grinder, they're doing that, they've got this coffee menu. Yeah, yeah. Sal, Sal even toyed with the concept of like opening a cafe pretty much next door to Saint Ali, staffed by forty-year-old Italian men who were kind of grumpy, and uh, <laughs> call it call it some some like you know uh, anagram of Saint Ali or you know something like that. Uh, or just add an N onto the end of Saint Ali and call it Stalin, or you know something like that, and just <laughs> and just see what happened with the customers. Because we'll open a cafe near Saint Ali, uh, like when we opened Clement, and the customers would come in and say, "Oh, thank God, you guys are open. We hate Saint Ali. 
They are such. <laughs> they are. Those guys are such. They dicks. are such wankers. Thank you so much for being in South Melbourne. And, we're, and it would literally be the same baristas that had served them uh, a couple of weeks ago at St. Ali. So yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of room for uh, the non-specialty cafes to be good as well. Okay. Well, we're kind of running out of time, so I kind of want to wrap it up, but I don't want to wrap it up before I talk to you about um, the London Coffee Masters event that was on a few weeks back. Yes. Um, obviously... Very different to WBC. Um, obviously, has a, a a completely different set of rules and stuff. H- how did that work out? And did you enjoy the competition? I did enjoy that format um, very much. It was a complete departure from regular barista competitions. Yeah. And uh, although I w- I was uh, hideously sick, so I couldn't taste or smell, um, which was unfortunate uh, because a lot of that competition relies on taste and smell. Uh, apart from that, I I thought that it was. Uh, a really interesting concept, and uh, I think that competitions applying more of what a barista sees in real day-to-day work in a competition format is the right way to go. Awesome. Yes. So, so uh, obviously, James ba- James Bailey won. Um, Killed it. A- any negative feelings towards him? Want to kill him or do anything like I that? W- I went to workshop the very next morning, and he was on the machine, and I proceeded to order everything. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And then just send them all back as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's lovely. Cool. I love, I love James. He's a gentleman and a scholar. He is. He is Sweet. Indeed. Okay, so I think that's a, that's a good place to to wrap up. Uh, that was uh, enthralling. Thank you very much for taking time out uh, from Kuala Lumpur. My pleasure. And uh, best of luck in in Gothenburg and wherever else you're traveling to in the next few days. I'm I'm not going to be there myself. I'm sure you're going to hear, but I'll send uh, Jen with some coffee for you. You'll and, get that. Uh, I'm sure You'll you can catch up with a beer. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, Matt Berger. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Over and out.